You see, people collect all kinds of things. New, old, priceless, worthless. Darling, it doesn't matter what. I simply must know why. Those mothballs shouldn't get to keep all the secrets. This is the Mothball Prophecies. Hello and welcome to the Mothball Prophecies. I'm Samantha Mashburn. And I'm Jill Huffman. And today we're joined by somebody who is teaching us the error of our ways. Teaching the common man how to not screw up your reselling while educating us and being so humble about her knowledge along the way. Please welcome to the show, Goods Resurrected, Megan Powell. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining excited us. Excited to chat vintage and collections today. Oh, I'm so excited. We get, you know, I send a questionnaire out to everybody and I really never know what I'm getting back. Like we all have our social media, how it is, right? And you can, can't really gather somebody's beginnings from it. And I was like reading through yours and I was like, I have so many questions <laughs> <laughs> about what this is like or what that, and all of those things. So thank you for agreeing to sit down to our curiosity today yeah i'm pumped yeah and you're having a sale today i'm going to share it after we're done here yeah i'm doing um i did kind of like a week-long flower sale since it's the beginning of spring and realized that i may have been hoarding about 60 planters that i don't really need so that's going to be on today's docket (laughs) i'm so i love to garden And I oh, love, yeah. so I'm excited because I still have birthday money to spend. So <laughs> we're going to, we're going to get some planters today. <laughs> love it. So yeah, I, I wanted to start with, like we do with everybody, you have a similar upbringing to a, a lot of our guests where somebody above you was antiquing or had a business or was doing those things before you got into the game. And for you, it was your mother, correct? She was selling antiques. Yep, she's been an antique reseller probably um, probably my whole life. Um, and it's funny because when I told her I was going to do this, and I said, you know, can you kind of remind me of some of my collections? Because I have so many that I've literally forgotten what I have. And she's like, how much paper do you have? Like, you <laughs> uh, like how many collections do you have? Like, um, And so I kind of was going through the things that I remember her collecting. She was very much into primitives. We had a very primitive house growing up. So it was like yellowware bowls, um, anything primitive, like that was her jam. And I asked her, you know, like, how did you get into this? Because she didn't really grow up in that. She grew up in Vermont. They had a ton of kids. It was like whatever slapped on the wall and it's probably been there for 20 years is like what we're staring at. You know, um, she had a, her mom kept a tree up all year round and it's like slap some new shit on that for the next holiday. Yes. Um, so she didn't grow up in that. <laughs> right. And, and so I was like, randomly, how have I never asked you this? And she said, she remembers it vividly. She bought a $4 yellowware bowl at a flea market in Funkstown, Maryland. And that like the open, the floodgates. She was like, this and, is my jam. Uh, she, yeah. <laughs> and she remembered exactly who she bought it from because we ended up, she ended up becoming friends with her. Her name was Lisa McAllister. She literally wrote the book on yellowware. And I remember another childhood memory of going over to her house and she had yellowware bowls all around the top of her, of her um, uh, what you call it in the kitchen. She had checkerware, which was really big back in the day. And she would literally like be writing stuff. And my mom would find a piece and we'd go over to her house and she would either grade it or they would trade stuff. And 
like so so cool i mean she this was her, is like her yellowware dealer and- <laughs> yeah basically you know like i got the goods today what's this worth um and i i actually rem- don't remember that so much as i remember like she would give me um treats to feed her cat to like amuse me while i was stuck <laughs> over there yeah um, <laughs> she knew what she was but, doing so, yeah but so she literally has been dragging me to antique stores and flea markets and auctions since I was born. Mm-hmm. And I remember vividly when I was old enough to have an attitude being like, <laughs> this stuff is trash. And when I'm old and I have money, everything will be new. And Ikea, why would you be an adult and have money and not shop at Ikea? <laughs> and that was like my hard, fast, like old stuff is trash. Mm-hmm. I'm buying everything new when I have my own money. And I just told her, I was like, well, looks like I lied. <laughs> <laughs> looks like I was full like, of shit, mom, because exactly. look at me now. Well, and I told her, I was like, I found one thing in this room today that's new. Everything else is secondhand or, you know. Mm-hmm. And now I can't imagine wanting anything new except for maybe underwear. I don't know. <laughs> I, right? Yeah, I think yeah, it would be that. That's like, a pertinent one. Top, yeah. top underwear vintage, bottom underwear new. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Feels like no. I had that like similar kind of revelation this weekend. I was shopping, right? And we spent most of the time going to some thrift stores. And then we hit up a couple of antique stores. And after being in like thrift mind finances, going to like an antique full retail, I was like, pa, I was (laughs) pa, balking and everything. And I was like, don't be that person. Because I grew up antiquing with my grandmother and it was kind of like there was that brief moment in time that I had that same thought of like, I'm not going to buy anybody's old shit. I'm just going <laughs> to. Don't you have money? Don't you want to <laughs> show people how rich you are? And now somebody comes to my house and I'm like, guess how much this was? Or I'm pointing at shit. I'm like, this was five dollars. Ninety seven cents. Like, <laughs> My favorite is when I'm like, see that? I pulled out of a dumpster. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just it's ex- like the like your mark of like yes like a gold star next to you if you mm-hmm. paid nothing for something yeah yes. it is it was uh i was explaining i had my first bins experience this oh weekend. lord have mercy so i was Did you get a tetanus <laughs> shot afterward i'm i'm so See, good that's what was running through my mind as she was telling me i was like no no tetanus I, shot now yes well i'm still up because i had one after i had my son and he's three so i'm using him as my vaccine calendar <laughs> To be like, wait, so you're okay. Yeah. But it was it was my first experience with my friend and we were walking in and she's like, she looks at me, she goes, usually I have gloves for this. And I was like, excuse you? <laughs> what? So we like walk in and then I would hear her. She go, oh God, my hand's wet. Oh God, my hand's wet. I, as I was telling Jill, I went to scratch my face and stopped because I still had PTSD from not no no see the nurse in me is like, Mm-mm. do you know what that wetness could be? It could oh, be one of five different yeah, things. Yeah, fluids. Mm-mm. I so, found a dirty diaper ew. in a bin once. Oh, I cannot get the smell and the thought out of my mm-hmm. head. And I didn't go back to the bin since. I haven't been since. No. I'm like a, a dirty diaper. Yeah, no thanks. Ugh. These Ugh. were the things I found were located at the crest of a bin hill. <laughs> <laughs> they were up on top and I looked at them. My basement is very 60s, 70s, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the theme I'm going with with the other area we record in. And so I found two vintage Afghans that are beautiful, bright, kitschy 60s colors. And they're going to get a great big fat bathtub soak today. But it was like, you pay by the <laughs> pound. 
I wanted to ask about you, 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 you bowled over it of like our first collections because our first collections, we don't get to choose. They are given to us. And my parents thrust so much shit at me. (laughs) (laughs) My biggest, I I mean, and I love them. They were, they were trying to give me cool collections and make me appreciate things. Um, The first one that was huge that I remember, I think I was about six when they started collecting for me Wizard of Oz stuff. And I said to my parents later, like, I don't even know how it started because I was terrified of that movie. (laughs) Those flying monkeys and all that shit, I was terrified. So I'm like, why did you constantly, like, I I think I have a picture somewhere. So like my whole room, at that tiny room, we lived in a small house and everything was Wizard of Oz. So I was surrounded by it. And I'm like, why did you do this? Like, like weird exposure therapy. I don't know. Maybe they're trying to, and I, so I would have dreams about our next door uh, neighbor who used to babysit me sometime being the wicked witch of the West. Like it was bad. Oh no. Bad. But anyway, so I do remember one fun thing that they got me from that. It was like, do you remember the old school Franklin mint where you could buy like the subscription to stuff and you would, get something like every month. And I do still have that. And it's really cool. It came in this awesome, like shadow backs kind of deal. And you would get a, a figure like once every couple months. Oh, and so it was like the lollipop field and it all led up in the last one you got was Dorothy. And it was so cool. And I me- I remember that was like my first like male unboxing kind of thing, you ooh. know, at age like eight, I think where you like, she would show me the box and it would say Franklin Mint on it. And I'd get all excited and we'd like sit on the floor and open it up and put it in the cabinet. And it was like the coolest thing ever. So I think that that kind of led it to, you know, hey, let's buy a bunch of stuff online because the unboxing is so fun. Mm-hmm. And um, terrifying. But the other, and terrifying. <laughs> but the other thing I remember that she always had for me, I had a, um, a type chest, like for letters. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, letter drawer. And she mounted it on the wall and she would put like little random curiosities in it for me. And so I remember there being like thimbles and um, little glass, basically whatever would fit in there. And then there was like a little um, thing that said Megan across it. But I, I was thinking about that today, looking at my cabinet of curiosities. And I'm like, you know what? That's totally where that came from. The idea that like things look cool together that aren't alike. Mm-hmm. And I know that that, and I would, I would wake up in the middle of the night and if I couldn't sleep, I would like, play with them and take them out and like feel them, you know, and things like that. And I'm like, you know what? That's totally where that came from. Just the idea that things look great together that don't necessarily go together. Mm -hmm. And that was like the house I grew up in. And like, so it was like the way my grandmother antiqued was very much like completist maximalist, but like her whole house has the same theme. Like nothing really differentiates or like goes off the path of British antiques, right? And then my mom growing up in that was like, she is very much a minimalist. And like the tins you showed the other day, the tea tins, like that's my mom. It's her weak spot. If she sees a cute tin, she's fucking done. Just done for it. That was my mom. Yeah. So and yeah. then so I'm like this weird hodgepodge mix of the two of them. Of like, I I like this, I like this, I like that. Now, okay, I guess the colors will go together. <laughs> I'll make them work. We'll just make this work. It's fine. Because I am like, I am a true magpie maximalist. Like, I will put a gallery wall anywhere to make the shit I want to see work. We went to this estate sale this weekend, and, and it was like the ghost of Christmas future showing me how my house could be if I was... <laughs> 
uh, single and I didn't have anybody to stop me. And you just hoarded the hell out of everything. I Okay. It was like an old Victorian. <laughs> And it was like you would turn a corner and you would think there would just be a bedroom and there was two more bedrooms. Like it was originally maybe a hospital or like something like that. Like it wasn't originally a residence and then it was turned into a residence because there was like four kitchenettes. So it was either like an apartment, a brothel, a hotel, like something like that. It was in downtown Salt Lake. Yeah. But this woman was an artist and like there were four bedrooms full of clothing. There was... The living room was just costume jewelry. Oh, Lord. The bedroom, a bedroom upstairs had a full-size drafting table. But it was bins of fabric and rickrack and notions and then posters and like art prints. And But it was like they said, we will be having this estate sale for a month because we have to sell stuff. Before we can get more stuff out. They hadn't cleared the attic or the basement of that. It was a three-story Victorian. And I just went, you can never do this. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot leave this for someone else. And it was every decade. I mean, you're like 1800s to the late 80s. Whoa. And the woman was still alive. Anyways. But it was like, I was like, okay, I won't do that. But I'm the same way as you of like, if I get enough stuff together on a shelf, it's going to look nice. Yeah. And that was the first thing that drew me to when I started following you on Instagram several months ago. I was like, I love how she puts stuff together. Like, I was like, I need to follow her for ideas on how to do this because you're great at it. Thank you. I think one of the things that I finally, it's hard too with Instagram. It's hard. Um you know, my business page, you know, I want to sell, but I also want to show people my own style. Um, It's hard with Instagram to not be influenced by what you see. Like you want to be inspired, but not necessarily do like a copy cut, you know, cut and paste of stuff. And I finally got to the point, especially to with um, Christmas, I finally started showing my collections. And I was like, oh, I kind of look like a crazy hoarder lady, but I don't care. Um, (laughs) And I really had this revelation finally after all these years of like decorating and and sharing spaces that I was like, you know what? I hope people like it. But at the end of the day, I live here. Mm -hmm. Like I had all these people that were like giving me the boo-hoo about having Christmas stuff up at the end of January. And first of all, I was like, do you know how long it takes to put this shit up? Like, yeah, it's two months of me putting stuff up. I was done the day before Christmas of decorating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, you know what? Like, I would never tell somebody what to do in their own house. Like, unless you had really offensive stuff on your walls, like you live in your house. Mm-hmm. You should enjoy it. You should play with things. You should, you know, like, if you know, be inspired by what you see on Pinterest and Instagram or whatever. Try it in your house. If it doesn't work, try something else. But at the end of the day, you know, you're the one that lives there. You're the one that's got to love what you see. So Mm -hmm. to me, like, I think, I hope people realize that being playful is better than being safe, you know, because it just feels better. Like I just finished this gallery wall in here and I was like, I come in here. I'm like, I love this. Mm -hmm. Like, I love seeing all this shit that's been in a pile, you know, and it just makes you feel good when you decorate the way that, that, you know, makes you feel good. Like your eyes going to tell you right away that works. That doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know, 
And it's going to be your specific eye, not necessarily like an interior decorator eye. Mm -hmm. You know, it's your eye. I always tell people that like your eye will never lie to you. Whether you're thrifting, whether you're decorating your house, your eye is always going to tell you what feels good, you know, Mm -hmm. what resonates with you as to what you like. Especially after the last year that we had, where it was like all of the framework of what you thought your life was, was just kind of like kicked out from underneath of you. And that was like, I mean, I've lived in my house for five years and this is the first year I've started decorating my basement because everything after this year just was like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to do this anymore. This I need to follow some type of guideline. And now I'm just like, well, this will look good in the basement. <laughs> this will look good here. This will look good there. And I've I've really enjoyed it. And it's been fun to be like, every time Joe comes over, mm-hmm. there'll be like something new added to this room. Because yeah. I have another print tray that I'm going to put up behind me for my new obsession, which is mini brands. <laughs> I'm obsessed with little things. Uh, but little things are so cute. They are so cute because they're so tiny. Yeah. We, we opened two of them the other night and I, I Jill finally understands it fully, <laughs> the excitement I have. Like little little is just cute. Yes. And I've always loved Everything little teeny. things. Little tiny. And that started from my grandmother. She had the little like this little glass menagerie in her curio cabinet and they were all at a level that I stared at for a long time. (laughs) So it's just right at you. Yeah. And like, I grew up like (laughs) hands in your pockets when you went to an antique store and that was the same thing you had to do at my grandmother's house was hands in your pockets. (laughs) Don't touch any of grandma's shit. (laughs) Yeah. Or the wrath of God will befall you. (laughs) When did your collections turn from what you were told to collect versus what you wanted to start collecting and it shifted for you that way? I think, um, so I moved to New York city when I was 18 and I spent a lot of time in museums and I was like, you know what? The things that I really value are art. So I'm willing to pay even a little bit of money I had when I was 20 years old to put cool shit on my walls. Mm -hmm. And so I think the first thing that I ever really paid up for, and I remember my mom being like, what was the Maxfield parish. Um, and so I have a pretty decent, uh, the Maxfield Parish Prince. Um, we had like a fake one growing up in one of our bathrooms. So I knew I liked that. Um, and then when we, my mom is from Vermont and we have a lake house up there. So we usually go antiquing there in the summer. And so with all New England, you can't go into an antique store in New England and not see like 20 Maxfield Parish Prince. <laughs> so it was like really always the kind of like on my radar. And so that was probably the first thing that I paid up for. And that I really was like, okay, I'm willing to save up a couple hundred bucks to have a really nice collection of this. So that was probably, and I still have a couple of those. And that was probably when I was 20. Um, And that was probably also the time I realized that, and I was telling my mom that I still do this today. There are certain collections that I will basically sell things in order to be able to pay for them. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing I mentioned this to you today, that the first thing I ever sold was it was between my um, freshman and sophomore year. I needed money and I had this dope Eric Clapton old school um, tour tee from like the seventies. Uh, and I wore it. I bought it. I bought it at this awesome vintage store in the village in 1999. And I loved it. And I swore I'd never sell it and I needed money. So I was like, screw it. My mom sold on eBay. So she kind of told me how to go through it. She was like a OG eBay person. Yeah. I think she started in like, in like 96, she was on eBay. Whoa. Um, whoa. So I was like, all right, teach me how to do this. And I had shitty pictures. I don't even think I put like the measurements of this damn t-shirt in there. I was just like, here's this cool 
vintage tour tee from Eric Clapton with like a butterfly and some other crap on it. And it sold for 200 bucks. And, and now it would probably be even more than that. And I was like, I'm hooked. I'm in, <laughs> you know, like that was it. This right. is cool. A cool way to make money. Um, so with that though, so I started taking money from certain things and reinvesting them into my collections because especially with me for Christmas, like, like I basically, Christmas doesn't make a lot of money unless you're selling like, you know, these hold Howard starry eyes or like some crazy stuff. stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. like crazy because of, you know, int- uh, Pinterest and Instagram, like you're not selling a ton of Christmas to make a ton of money, but I sell a lot of Christmas and I basically take all that money and reinvest it into my own Christmas collection. So that was kind of something that I was, yeah. I mean, it's not very smart business wise, but (laughs) collection wise, (laughs) that is not a business model. If you're listening to business advice that I would, (laughs) you know, recommend, but (laughs) as a collector, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As a business model, not so much. No, no. But yeah, so that was probably my first like big girl collection um, was Maxfield Parish. And I was just like, oh, I want to see pretty things on my wall. And I went from like the co- the, the college dorm room and my room in high school where I had a coll- I had collaged every single wall with printouts from the computer that I'm looking back now. I'm like, I probably yeah. like probably cost my parents hundreds of dollars <laughs> in cartridge like the old school, like ink print out. Mm-hmm. And I can't even imagine how long it took to like the old school dial up, like to actually download those images. I'm like, that was probably a year of my life. And you know, a couple hundred bucks for my parents. <laughs> right. Just sitting out. You're like, I got a snack. I got a drink. I know you just sit there and, and I'm printing out these damn and Getty's babies to put on my wall. Okay. See <laughs> somebody else. I had an and Getty's collection. <laughs> And I had the dolls and I got a calendar every year and I had the little yes. like, booklets and I have them and I think I'm going to donate them to a nursing home with like a memory care unit. Oh, yeah. Now. Oh, yeah. Because I like I have some that I could resell on eBay, but I'm, I'm not. Well, maybe I'll learn some things from you today, but. So I don't know if you follow sometimes when I go thrifting, I always say that the Ann Gettys babies follow me. And so I have people that message me and they're like, so I'm, I'm unsure. Like, do you love these? Ann Gettys babies? I'm like, no, but I think it's just, maybe it's this like subconscious thing because I had them on my wall and I had the calendar when I was like 12 that they're like, you know, on my radar mm-hmm. somehow. Cause like, why can't I be like the million dollar like painting whisperer? No, I'm the fucking Ann Gettys <laughs> whisperer. Like I find them everywhere. And I've, I'll honestly like not even know they're behind something and like pull, like move something to look behind it. And it's like, there's a baby. Like, there's a baby in a flower pea pod looking straight up at you going, Megan, do you remember me? I'm, <laughs> do you remember me hanging above your bed when you were 12? Do you remember me? I always, I always wonder where those babies are now. Like, did they all turn out okay? Because yeah. some of those were like really weird pictures. Oh, I'm going to look it up. And there's a, we need to make like a recovering Angetti's. <laughs> Yes. Baby's documentary. We, <laughs> like, have you seen the one where the lady's pregnant and there's like the baby on her? Yes. Like, yeah. it's really weird. Hi, I my mean, name's God bless Mirabelle. Gettys, but. I and I was a sunflower <laughs> from 95 to 96. And then they did, they demoted me to a bear and I was I, never the same. So now I live somewhere that flowers can't grow because it triggered me. I can't. She starts like shaking every time she sees a sunflower. <laughs> no, no, no Anne. 
There was, there is some Anne Gettys controversy. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but there was like a thing. Like I feel a, like I remember that too. Yeah. She's, Not Anne's, like child abuse or something, but there was something going on. Yeah. Like Anne's, she's rough around the edges, I think. Maybe. <laughs> but be like, it's funny because I feel like I, a lot of other people that are thrifters, they all have like that one thing that they find all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another lady that I'm friends with, uh, Hillary Prawl. She always finds that book that, um, oh, Jerry Seinfeld's ex-wife. She did those the, that cookbook where you like basically hid shit from your kids. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. <laughs> you know what I'm talking? It's like, and it's a really cute, I mean, it's a cute cookbook, but it's like got like a cartoon picture of her yeah. on the front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She finds those everywhere. <laughs> so I feel like once you, like when you're thrifting all the time, there's that one thing that like mm-hmm. haunts Man, you, follows you. I'm trying to think what haunts me every time I go. I know like um, Pyrex and Plants has like that, it's like an organizer, like a desk organizer, and yes. it's got the carved wood on it. Oh, yeah. I saw three of those at that <laughs> Victorian estate sale. Like every time I turn around, it was holding more stationery behind me. <laughs> Just like I, I usually tag her when I find those two because <laughs> they find they find me too. And people get really because I, I posted them one day, like not today, Satan, when I saw one. Because that was something like in the beginning that I bought all the time because I saw that like, you know, this whole boho movement was getting crazy and people wanted baskets on walls and, mm-hmm. you know, faux everything. And so I would buy them and then they would sit for me. So I was like, no, we're not buying those anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that is not that's not the direction we're going. And I posted something about it, like not today, Satan. And someone got so upset and they were like, <laughs> message me, you know, like, what do you mean? Like, those are so popular. And like, I'm like, I get it. But the you know, and that was one of the things when I started doing like the mistakes were made. I said, you know, <laughs> what's popular for someone else isn't necessarily popular for me. Like we don't all have the same pool, mm-hmm. you know, of people that are buying from us. So, you know, I can see people all the time that sell crazy stuff that like I've had sitting for a year, you know, and they're selling at a price that's even higher than what I'm asking for. And so that's yeah. one of the things that I was that I was talking about Um when the mistakes were made was like, if you're buying to sell, don't necessarily look at what other people are selling because it might not work for you. Yeah. You know, we all have a different pond, you know, of where we're selling, which is it's I've, I've experienced that because I was like, I was trying to sell, like I've seen this, I have this Japan bisque cowboy doll and I've seen it sell in auctions. I've seen it on eBay. I've seen it everywhere and I can't get rid of it. Like the big eyed ones? Yeah. Well, it's like he's got an orange. He's like a, he's like this tall. And he's a little like occupied Japan bisque doll. And he's enamel yeah. painted. And I can't, I can't get rid of him. I can't. And I'm like, I know he sells. I'm like, maybe I just need to put stuff on eBay. Because it marketplace, is. A- marketplace is the place right now to be selling stuff for me. Oh, not in our area. Mm-hmm. People don't want to no, pay for anything. No, I mean. Uh, selling it online, adding oh. the sh- adding the shipping option, that is like my money maker these days. I'm wary of getting- it. Tell me about it. So that would be like if I was sell. I have a lot of people that you know I sell on eBay, Instagram, Mercari, Poshmark, uh, and Marketplace. Did I hit all of them? And Etsy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a lot of people that will contact me and say like, you know, I want to start into this. What would you recommend? Um, and I have been since the beginning of the year, Marketplace is killing it for me. And so I've been telling people, I'm going to do a tutorial on it soon because I just think it's one of, you're, you're getting the most eyes on stuff. Mm-hmm. You think, I mean, what do we spend the most time on Facebook and Instagram, right. you know, 
And now that Facebook, Facebook wised up, Zuck wised up that he was losing money on this because, you know, if you've bought stuff, we all have, you know, found awesome stuff on Marketplace. Oh, yeah. um, it used to be my bread and butter for selling furniture um, locally and things like that. But I used to kill it on Marketplace. Um, you know, that was it was my biggest way. And then they realized they started asking about like a year and a half ago when you sold something, a little screen that would pop up and it would say, did you sell this on Facebook? Did you sell it elsewhere? Do you not want to answer? Mm-hmm. And I was like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, they are going to start making this be um, a marketplace where they're making money. And sure enough, last year they started switching over. And so when you log in a marketplace now, it's hard, you're hard pressed to find anything that is local because they are pushing you on things that you are buying yeah. that they're getting, that they're getting a cut out of. It's and I'm very like, annoying. I knew this, it's so annoying, especially for us if we're like collectors and mm-hmm. we want to use that as a way to find cool, cheap shit. You know, it's super annoying. But the flip side of that is as a seller, it's amazing because that's what people are seeing pop up first is going to be stuff, you know, you know, from Maryland to California. So in the beginning of January, I was like, you know what, let me just experiment with this. I switched everything that I already had on there to a shipping option. Sold 20 things in two days like that had been sitting for me too. This was like dead stock that I was pretty much ready to just like re, you know, give back to Goodwill. And I was like, damn, let's see what else, you know, I can sell on here. So I started adding bigger paintings, higher ticket items, and they're only taking 5%. So you compare that to what eBay's taking sometimes 13%. Etsy takes fees out the ass. You know, I'm like, this is, and it's pretty as a platform, it's pretty um, user friendly too. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't feel like you get those crazy people ghosting you like you normally do on Marketplace if you're doing local yeah. because it's just a it's just a buy yeah. it now button. They might you know message me and say, "Hey, is this still available?" Yes, it's still available. If it's still up there, like come on, right? <laughs> but for the most part, like you don't get that. Like I said, you know, where you're like, "Hello, is this available?" And it's crickets for three days, mm-hmm. and then it, you see that it's sold. So yeah, and- so I've been recommending a lot marketplace for people if you if you're looking to start and you're looking to kind of just get a feel for it i think it's been a great tool because you're just it's like i said it's just it's more eyes on it than anything else and that's super reassuring because it's uh, to me as a layman seems like a lot less work than setting up an etsy storefront oh doing all the ebay stuff like i feel like people on facebook are that are buying stuff aren't coming to the market as people that are going to etsy or ebay or mercari Right. Exactly. Because the people that are going there are collectors. Like Melissa and I were talking about this yesterday of like, I go to an antique store to find the shit I can't find myself. Right. Mm-hmm. In yeah. places. Because yeah. I look, I find shit on Marketplace all the time. All the time. I'll be, it's like a daily, twice a day scroll. I'll go through and go to all my places I look for. I look for like things spelled wrong or what the basic yeah. of it is. Like I just found for my pantry three vintage metal fridge drawers oh nice for five bucks a piece hell yeah and i was like yes because i did not want to pay etsy prices for those Mm -hmm. yeah because etsy does yeah it's crazy yeah it is so where are you like so you start when did you start reselling like uh after that shirt but did you start like then you were like okay we're gonna make this a thing we do all the time that was pretty much like for me, it was like if basically like college uh, 
poor college person mentality. It was like, if I needed a couple extra bucks, I'd look around the room and be like, all right, what, what can I sell? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was more like I need to pay rent or eat this week. So I'm going to, you know, throw something on eBay. Um, so it was always like, kind of like a side thing for me. Um, a couple years ago, I got really, I was like, had the auction bug so bad. And I was going to auctions like twice a week sometimes. Like that's my, my favorite way to, to, um, to -hmm. get stuff is auctions. I love that. Like, especially where I was going. So in Hagerstown, Maryland, which is where I'm from, it's like a good old boys club. My mom will tell you that she's seen the same 20 dudes there for the past 40 years, you know, and they, it's like, it's, it's a sight to behold. Um, but you know, I like that, you know, here's this, this girl rolling up and she thinks she's going to go head to head with like, and I will stare them down and I will, you know, talk shit and everything mm-hmm. else. And so I miss that, like, kind of thing like that it's that aries energy we're both aries are so competitive if somebody goes do you want to do this challenge i'm like you better buck the fuck up because yeah i do (laughs) see and as a pisces i just sneak right in and then everybody's like oh (laughs) while we're fighting she's already and i'm already (laughs) there and got it yeah which is part of the strategy yeah we're the bodyguards you're the undercover agent the sneaker yep yep so i was going like ham at auctions and then you know looking like a hoarder i'm like all right it's time to get back to actually not like having a two-car garage that's full of shit and actually selling it so Mm -hmm. probably like three or four years ago i got really big into into reselling again um and then uh i was living in west virginia i put my house on the market and so i went through that whole oh well you know you have to stage your house you have to declutter you have to do this you have to do that so I sold off a bunch of collections that were personal collections that time um, and kind of like halted selling um, and then still had my full time job. And then 2020 hits and COVID hits and um, I got laid off in March. And then I was like, all right, well, I guess we're doing this full time now. So <laughs> right, you're you like- know, it was a it was a blessing in disguise. I really I, I had been at the same job. I've been commuting to D.C. every day for almost 11 years, wow. wanting to shoot myself, put, put pokers through my eyeballs in D.C. traffic and dealing with people in D.C. in general. Yeah. Um, and had been miserable there. So it was kind of like a blessing in disguise. But it wasn't really full time, full time until then. Mm-hmm. But it always been kind of like a side hustle and a way to make a couple extra bucks. And just I love I love the the biggest thing for me reselling. I love like something passing through my hands. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. having something that's cool and finding it a new home and, and learning history about it or living with it for a little bit. And then, you know, finding it a new home. Like mm-hmm. I love just that. I don't know. That sounds kind of silly, but I just love that, you know, something passes through my possession and you we find call it a it, new home. We call it antique and vintage foster care. Yes, like, exactly. You're like, I know this I'm, is important. It's not being appreciated here. So you come live with mama for a minute and then we'll find yeah, you yeah. your house. Absolutely. Like yeah. this juicer behind me. Okay. I'm not a juicer collector. Right. But, but this, this little sweetie and uh, the vintage Sunbeam Jadeite juicer. We're it's sitting awesome. in this Rubbermaid tote underneath a table with some other random bits and bobs. And nobody else was going to see it. And I, no. I, my black light went over it and I saw them both glow and I was like, oh, and now I have it. And the coolest thing happened because I know it's not going to be in my collection forever. When I took the metal part of the juicer out, there was a little chip. And I was like, oh, the chip is for me to keep to make something out of. But oh, this yeah. is going to go live somewhere else. I just get to experience it for a little bit. Yeah. And then send it on its way. 
which I love. I love that. I love that I can, because after doing this show, and I think Jill's the same, our collections have shifted into like what we're keeping because we do research at the end of every episode about stuff we talk about. And I want to talk about, I want to know like your research process. How do you find something online about an item you don't know the name of? So this has changed so much with the invention of Google image. Like I wish 20 years ago, Google image had been a thing because I know I've lost out on so much money because I just (laughs) didn't know what something was. Like I kicked myself. I'm like, damn it. That was worth a lot of money. And I just didn't know what it was. Um, And I think it's like a good and bad thing because I think it's made research almost too easy. Like for, for most people, it's like, hey, if I can take a picture, Google image shows it, shows me what it is. Then I see what it went for on eBay. Boom, I've got an idea, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But it's also made it, you know, really accessible to people. Um, but I still I had somebody ask me the other day, like to help her with something. I'm like, this is the, the best formula. Google image it. Um, you'll probably get something on eBay. If it's not, it'll at least lead you in the right direction. Um, but it's almost like you said about. But even if that so that doesn't always work. Google image always doesn't work. The eBay image never works. That thing is a piece of junk. I don't know who came (laughs) up with that. (laughs) Like that never. When have you ever taken a picture on eBay and you actually got the picture of what the hell the thing was? Like I usually will get a general (laughs) scope and be like, okay, now I have more words I can Google. Yeah. So I was going to piggyback on what you said about um, looking for things spelled wrong. And that's something that I do a lot, too, if I'm either looking for stuff on eBay to buy or if I'm trying to find out what something is, because sometimes, you know, people spell stuff wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but eBay is, I mean, that's been my go-to for 20 years of trying to find out what stuff is. I, I know that you can search comps on Etsy and Poshmark and Mercari, but I don't, I, those to me are still like kind of, you know, second tier kind of places that I would look. Yeah. Um, not that they're bad places to look, but you know, eBay can usually find you what the best market price for something is. Yeah. Cause I feel like Etsy and Mercari because of the fees and stuff, people are trying to account for that in their prices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. from just talking to people, it seems like stuff in Etsy stores can either sit for a long time or your or stuff sells really quickly. It's really, it goes and, either way. And that's another thing that's frustrating. I had another person contact me and say the same thing. Like, why do I have something listed at a lower price than somebody else? And they're selling it at a higher price. Mm-hmm. And I think that Etsy is like probably the main culprit for that. But I, because I think with Etsy, like if you are a store that's got a lot of followers, people are willing, if you throw a hundred dollars on something versus $50 on something, if they've been following you and you're a reputable seller or they mm-hmm. like you or whatever the case may be, they're going to pay that higher premium to buy it from you. And I also think there's just a weird psychology of pricing where if you see something at a higher ticket price, you think that there's more value attached to it, which might not be the case, but it's how our mind works Mm -hmm. when we see, you know, $100 versus $50. So it's hard to kind of sail that, you know, sea of cheese when it comes to pricing, because it's also what you want to make up something. You know, everybody has a different idea. Do you want to double your money? Do you want to triple your money? Do you want to quadruple your money? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you can't really, you know, gauge that for somebody else, what they're what they're trying to get out of something. So right. it's pricing is a hard thing. Yeah. Well, and the thing that happens, too, is if you if you're consistently seeing something at a higher price and you see it at a lower price, your brain immediately goes, what's wrong with it? Right. Yeah, Why yeah. is this? Or is it a fake? Yeah. Is yeah. It yeah. Repop yeah. is it? Yeah, Yeah, that's what I think every time when I see something that I want and it's high, high, high. And then this one is like 
pennies. And Money. it's like, yeah. what's wrong with it? Mm-hmm. Is it super broken or, you know, is it fake? Like, yeah, I do that all the time. And then every once in a while, I'll buy something and I'll be like, oh, no, you just didn't know how, what you had. Mm-hmm. My mom is the queen of that. She will find, because she sits, I mean, she sits on eBay all day, every day. And she, because she has a huge Christmas collection and she's got, you know, really cool antique Christmas stuff. So she's always looking to get a deal. And I'll go over to her house and I'll be like, where the hell did you get that? And she'll go eBay and she'll go, they just didn't know what they had. And nine times out of 10, if you're getting a good deal on one of those places, it's because somebody either, like you said, misspelled something Mm -hmm. or they didn't know what they had. And that's for you as a collector is the best way to build your collection Mm -hmm. is to like, if you're Christmas, like hop on, I buy most of my Christmas, Christmas is probably my biggest collection. And I buy most of it off season because you're buying on season. That's the stuff people have seen on Instagram. Yeah. Prices are going to go stupid high. Mm-hmm. But if you're buying, you know, February, March, April, May, whatever, and you're looking for those things where somebody didn't know what it was and you're doing like a search of something, you know, even if you're just putting in vintage Christmas, like you kind of have to think of the lowest common denominator of if somebody doesn't know what they have, yeah. what would be the fewest words that they would use? Old you know? Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's the way that you're going to find as a collector that's the way you find those like super rare pieces that you're paying like five bucks for. Yeah. You just got to get creative with how you're searching for stuff. And I will say too, though, about the other um, shopping sites, Mercari, not so much Etsy because I feel like the prices are higher on Etsy, but Mercari and Poshmark, I've scored awesome stuff on there again, because those are sites that people are typically selling clothing if they're selling housewares on there, they might not know what they have. Mm-hmm. So I've scored some serious stuff that people, again, did not know what they have on those two sites. So again, if you're a collector and you haven't tapped into, you know, searching on Mercari or Poshmark, I highly recommend those. And with Marketplace too, yeah. you can still find some cool stuff on Marketplace that people just don't know what they have. Yeah, which is uh, happens all the time. And let's, I want to talk about this too, because you do another thing on your Instagram that's one of my favorites, and it's the mistakes were made. Yeah. Because I, I ran it. <laughs> I have done that. I did that with, um, I had a jadeite pie plate that I sold. And I was, it felt good to sell it to this person because afterwards I realized she wouldn't have been able to afford it at full retail. But yeah. I, I knew I put it on for two little when I got seven messages in three minutes right away and I was like yes. fuck. oh fuck yeah I just did that with something too I had a lighter that I put up there and it was a cool like art deco lighter it had a really neat crane on it and I wasn't sure if it was gold plated or if it was gold it didn't have any markings on it and I hadn't and I knew who the maker was and I just threw it up there it's been sitting in a drawer I just wanted to get rid of it and I had three thousand hits in 10 hours on marketplace And 20 messages. And I was like, shit, what (laughs) did I not put on this? Like, you know, I just want to get rid of it anyway. So it's whatever. And Mm -hmm. that's something else too, that I, that I tell people, like, if my mistake, if I made my money and it's a mistake, or if I'm just trying to get rid of it, I am so cool with somebody else making more money off of it. Cause that's what we all do. Mm -hmm. We buy low and we sell high. And I'm so about like, even if, if I, like I said, if it was me that I made a mistake or just like I got my money out of it, I'm cool seeing somebody else make more money off of it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the name of the game. So anyways, um, Mark, <laughs> um, so yeah, the mistakes were made. I forget what I, I think that I bought something, got it home, was getting ready to photograph of it. And I'm like, shit, it's broken. And I was like, Megan, how many times in 20 years have you done this have you gotten excited about something that you saw in the store you didn't do your due due diligence to see um 
you know, run your fingers across all the edges, inspect it. You know, I'm like, come on, man, this is an amateur hour. Like, you know, better than this. And so I randomly sat down that day and I was like, all right, like this could be helpful for other people. Let me go through all the mistakes that I've made in 20 years reselling online. And it started off at six and it's at like 50 now because <laughs> I keep thinking of things that I'm like, man, that that was something that I could have avoided just either. Um, I think some things it's like anything else. You need to learn certain lessons um, the hard way. Mm-hmm. Like we all pay for our mistakes a lot of times when it comes to vintage and antiques. Like you pay for your education constantly. Mm-hmm. Like how many times I've bought things that I thought were legit and they were repops or they were broken or whatever it is. And it's like, damn it, pal. Like <laughs> you did that again. So I say that a lot to myself when I screw up. Damn it, pal. I say, damn um, it, Mashburn. <laughs> all the time. I go, damn it, Mashburn. All, I do it all the time. Um, so it just became like, for me, it, it's been my favorite thing, honestly, to do on Instagram because so many people relate to all of them and it makes people feel good to know that they're not alone out there making these mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so some of the biggest ones have just been that, like just just slowing down and taking time to really inspect the object, especially if it's for resale. Now, if I'm buying something for my collection and I come home and it has a chip, no big deal. That, yeah. uh, that I'm okay with as long as I didn't pay up for it. But like little things for resale, like you need to make sure that the item is in good condition. You know, I'll sell things that have chips and cracks because depending on what they are, people are okay with that. Again, if they're keeping it for their collection, that's Mm -hmm. okay. But too many broken things have come home. (laughs) Too many broken things. Um, And the other thing with that is like, I used to not be good about like, I kind of go through a checklist before I'm going out hunting. Do I have reusable bags? Do I have bubble wrap? Do I have my own paper? Um, And something else that I've been really diligent about lately, just because I've gotten home and too many things have been broken, not because of how I handled it, but because of how the cashier handled it. I'm really conscious too of like not letting anyone else touch my stuff. Like if if they need a price tag off of it, I'll like, you know, flip it up if it's at Savers or whatever, or if it's at the antique store, I'll ask them if I can help them just because people are never going to, for the most part, unfortunately, they're not going to care for your item the way that you're going to care for it. And I've just had too many times where I've come home and stuff's broken. I'm like, that was in handling. That wasn't me. That was somebody, you know, not, not taking the care that they could have in the item and, you know, just avoid that mistake altogether. I don't let them touch it. (laughs) So that almost happened to me this weekend. I found, I was at the DI and I found that silverware. Melissa found this wrought iron handmade plant stand. That was really cool. And that Japan cow ceramic and she put it all in the same bag. And the cow was wrapped in paper and we got to the car and I took it out and it was, the cow was in between the planter and the silverware. And I was just like, what? what? Yeah. What? What What do you do? But that's just the thing. I mean, you can't even expect somebody who that's their job to, and also too, they might not know that it's valuable. Right. They might see, Oh, this is like a ceramic cow. Who cares? You know, this person's paying three bucks for it. It's not that big a deal. Especially if that person has a stigma of the only people that buy secondhand is because that's what they can afford. Right. So they have this weird classist look at shopping secondhand and devalue your purchases because of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And especially too, if they know that it was donated, they're Mm -hmm. like, Oh, it doesn't matter. This is free. You know, yeah, because yeah. our trained brains of being in a capitalist society, we're like little <laughs> monkeys. Yeah, <laughs> assign value to things based on right. So, what 
what brings you I have so, uh, hundreds of questions we have to have you back on at some point because there's so many more things we didn't cover but what are your like what's your checklist for something to make it into your collection I have been on a a weird kick <laughs> I've been on a weird one of a kind kick um, I oh. think that's the other thing that happens too when you've been collecting for a long time like you guys have been collecting you start seeing like what's it, it's gonna come really quickly of like what's rare and what's not and I think when you're a baby collector, you tend to think everything is rare. So you buy everything mm -hmm. up. Like I remember buying Pyrex back in the day and buying every piece of Pyrex that I saw, regardless if it had dishwasher damage, regardless of whether or not I knew it was rare or not, just buying it up because I was like, oh, Pyrex is cool and it makes money. And, you know, having no idea that that is not the case across the board with Pyrex. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I think just having so many, having so many collections and realizing that I can't keep them all. Um, I've definitely drawn to more one of a kind stuff. So I'm drawn more to like, I'm really into folk art right now. Uh, um, anything that's like, that I know wasn't mass produced. I mean, I still buy stuff that's mass produced. I love Catherine Holm. I will always want more Catherine Holm. Um, the same with, I kind of gotten away from Jadeite. Um, it's mm -hmm. one of those things that I'll buy up my collection a little bit and then I'll sell other pieces off. So I've kind of kept the rarer pieces for me. Um, but with art, I'm just like, that's just my jam. I just love knowing that, like, I'm the only person that has this really funky piece. And I'm and I and I'm OK living with it, too. Like, like you said, living with it for a little bit and then passing it on. But I just love like with one of a kind art. I'm just a sucker mm -hmm. for it. I can't when I see something cool, I just can't I can't let it go. Um, and I also have started. So when I go out, especially with the with the introduction of Google Image, like there are some things that I know very little about, like glass. You know, I know enough about glass to like get through, but I don't know, you know, everything about Murano or, you know, Fenton or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Glass is kind of like my, my least level of things that I know about. But when I'm out, I'll try and find a piece I don't know what it is and I'll snap a shot of it, come home later and do some research. And so for me, I've really tried to find pieces that I love their history. So that's become more of like my, I mean, it's always has to be visually appealing to me. Mm -hmm. It has to be something that I'm like, you know, my eye is drawn to, but when I know the history of something and I can keep digging into that, like that really kind of jazzes me in these days. It's like, I want more knowledge behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever has that like juicy history, like really gets yeah. me going. So yeah, I want to know why it's collectible. Like, why do I keep yeah. seeing this thing in antique stores everywhere I go? What mm -hmm. is what is the thing about this? Because, like, especially just stuff that, like, it looks cool, but it's not for me. But it's very right. obviously for other people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's... Um, especially, especially with stuff like that. Because, like I said, I love... One of my things about Instagram that I think, you know, you can go 50-50 on this. But I love seeing a wide variety of styles. Like, kitsch is in my house at Christmas time, but not really the rest of the year. But I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And I sell the crap out of it. And I love seeing how other people display it. Yeah. Like, same with, like, I'm not really big in the farmhouse. But I love seeing a great farmhouse decorated, you know, piece of whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's been really cool to, like, you know, like I said, you can kind of pull little things that, you know, like, hey, that really catches my eye or how can I learn more about that or whatever mm -hmm. it is. You know, there's always some, you know, my mom's been doing this. And I know other people have been doing this for 60, 70 years. You're never going to know everything. Mm -hmm. So like really with the explosion of selling on Instagram, like there's such an opportunity too to really dive into the knowledge behind these pieces. And like you said, why are they popping up everywhere? Yeah. Because back in the day, the only time stuff got like really big is if like Martha Stewart came out 
And she was like, I have a collection of Ironstone. Martha Stewart says she has a collection of Ironstone. Nobody's ever heard of what the fuck Ironstone is. And that stuff blows up. And that's Mm -hmm. what you see everywhere. So she was one of those people really that, you know, long before Instagram, if you got your Martha Stewart living and she showed you her collection of the year, that's when you couldn't touch stuff on eBay or anything. And that's Uh, when people got into those certain things, you know, the first influencers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she she was influencing everything, but I mean, back in the day, country living, I remember my mom, she was really big into primitives. Mm -hmm. If she saw stuff on country living and then she would go and try and buy it at a flea market or whatever, you know, the prices would go through the roof. The same with Instagram. When you see an influencer or somebody post something, you're like, and you have that collection, you're like, shit, I'm never going to be able to touch that again. Mm-hmm. Because the prices, when somebody sees it and it's so many eyes on something that they've never seen before, like I cringe sometimes when I see people post stuff that I know that I collect. I'm like, well, I'm never buying that for a decent price again. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's true. I don't, like- know if that's ha- I don't know if that's happened with you guys with anything that you collect, but it's happened to me a lot. <laughs> it's it's happening right now with uranium glass. Yeah. Yeah. Uranium glass is really climbing and you're finding it. So like there's stuff, I mean, I've seen green glass forever, right? But now that people kind of know what it is because of like Facebook auction sites and Instagram and different stuff like that. It's like, now it's like, do, okay, if I buy this now for this price, I'm never going to be able to resell it for this price. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, the same thing with Pyrex, especially in this area. It's like I used to be able to find it everywhere mm-hmm. for like, you know, a couple bucks. And now it's like 50 bucks for a chipped bowl. Oh, and it's man. like, mm-hmm, yeah, no. Yeah. And even like the prices at the Goodwill on Pyrex because they know what they have, which we won't talk about know, the Goodwill. It's but crazy. Yeah. And it's, I, crazy. I, yeah. it's just it's super frustrating to me when I mean, and it it's probably a pattern that I don't even want, but somebody will come along wanting that and they couldn't afford it because they've marked it up so high and that's not what it's about. Yep. I wonder, I wonder what brought that on. Cause it's definitely like within the past year. Yeah. It is totally within the past year where you, like you said, you pick something up and you're like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. pump the brakes. Goodwill. Are you serious? Do you want $25 for this? Maybe $5 bowl. Mm -hmm. Like, I Mm -hmm. wonder, I wonder what caused that. I wonder where all of that, that new pricing strategy came from. Like, is there someone in the back who's like, Hey, this is worth more. Cause it's yeah. no skin off their nose. If Goodwill gets 25 bucks for it or five bucks, you know, they're not yeah, getting that they're extra not get, money. They're, it's not going into their pockets. And I that, don't understand. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, I don't understand the thinking behind it because it's not helping anybody. Well, I'm like, is there a database that they're looking up like in the back? Like, is there like a Goodwill only specific database that's like if they see they look at the bottom, they see this logo because now you only find stuff if you know what it is and it's unmarked, like mm-hmm. unmarked Fenton, unmarked Fire yeah. King, things like that. Yeah. But I wonder, I'm going to have to we'll have to do some digging and see if we can find somebody on the inside and like disguise their voice yeah. <laughs> like a unsolved mysteries. <laughs> And black out their face. Yeah, and, yeah. Because I'll this see is like, so and so. This is so and so at Goodwill headquarters. We have the inside scoop on why Tonight, they're price gouging. Lights yeah. come down. <laughs> well, there's also like drive by. Our Goodwill's on like a main thoroughfare here in town, mm-hmm. and you'll drive by, and there'll be a semi truck, and they'll be loading pallets of stuff into the semi truck to take it somewhere else. And I'm like, that was for our community. Yeah. You know, that was for people to help people here. 
And and is that even going to go? Is that going to go to the bins? Is that going to go to a landfill? You know, yeah. are you shipping it to another country? Because exactly. that happens too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we need to we need to get in on the inside and we need to follow the money and follow the goods. This is where our Aries compatibility <laughs> comes in. You and I, Megan. Jill's going to be the sneaky we- one. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we're going to bum rush a Goodwill and we'll stop listening. <laughs> I'll be in the office like looking through the files really yes, quickly. Uh-huh. Trying you to and I are going to be physically fighting people <laughs> and making direct intense eye contact to be like, I and wish got, a bitch would. The, and then I'll come out of the, the office with like yeah. the with the files and I'll just like give you the sign and then we'll like just stop what you do yep. and then like, how tall like, are, you? are you how tall are you we got to figure this out five five oh shit we're the same size five five <laughs> yeah all right but I also also instead of a regular flashlight you've got your black light and mm-hmm. you're like yeah trying to get yeah. in their yeah. eyes like yep. yeah tell me tell mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I love it. Show me the price couch. And then they'll be like, I just started here today. I don't know what you're talking about. Please just let me go. And then you just whisper something insulting to them. And they fall to pieces. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. It's going to happen. We're going to have an album and a criminal record by the end of this year. We're like the vintage mafia. Unsolved goodwill mysteries. (laughs) Pyrex Pirates. That's what we're going to we're going to come through. Well, <laughs> speaking of uh, criminal records and things that are public knowledge, where can Ooh. our <laughs> listeners? Wow. Queen of the where segues. No, no. Where, where are we me. taking a turn for on Back this? up a little. Things that are public record. Where can our listeners find how to resell and rob a Goodwill with your guidance? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh Lord. Um, the, I'm most active on Instagram at goods resurrected. Um, but, uh, it has a link on there to all the places that you can, um, find, um, all of my stores. I'm going to be opening my own online store and Ooh. it'll be a two, it's going to be at goodsresurrected.com. It'll be a two part. So one part will be a store and then the other part will be um blog posts and reseller resources. I really want that to be like the second component as mm-hmm. to what I'm doing um, that I've been doing um, on Instagram with the mistakes were made. I'm really big into helping um, other resellers save time and money. I'm really big into helping them f- find free shipping supplies. Um, that's one of my main focuses. One of one of the reasons that I love that this is getting so popular um, is just seeing for me, one of the biggest sides of this is like, you know, helping the planet reusing what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, that part of kind of this online explosion of reselling, I think is great to be really preaching like, Hey, your house can be totally cool, totally secondhand. Yeah. So I'm always kind of on there giving resources to resellers. And I want that to be like a bigger part of my business. So hopefully with that website launch, if that ever happens, <laughs> it's been, it's been in the works for like three months now. And I can it's a lot of, of work. My perfectionist brain isn't letting me just like let it go and let it be what it is right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an Aries thing. I know somebody else like um, that. I was going to say, if you're looking for packing supplies too, call salons and spas. Oh, yeah. Because we get perfectly shaped shipping boxes. <laughs> perfectly shaped. Because they're the perfect sizes with like the standard. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they'll have yeah. a supply house label on the side. But I have, I'll have, and then one of the girls I work with carries a sustainable skincare line. So all of her packaging is compostable and biodegradable. Oh, that's awesome. So I get my peanuts from her. We get some paper. We get some boxes. Got it all. Find your look. Yep. 
talk to your local stylist. <laughs> yep. I have a couple people that are my box fairies in my phone. Yes. And they'll and that I just found through the next door app. I just kind of put up put up the gat the bat signal and said, This is what I do. Give me your free supplies. And I've got like three ladies on rotation that will text me and say, yes. We've got stuff for you. It's in the carport. And perfect. There's so many so many free resources out there for people. Mm -hmm. I cringe when I see people buying supplies. It's like, no, you mm -hmm. can get them for free. Yes. Be a little, if you're going to sell thrifted things, be thrifty with yeah, your shipping you things. Look at you wow. rhyme. Sorry. It was the second cup of coffee. My <laughs> husband brought me. <laughs> it, it kicked it in. Um, speaking of things people hate that I do, let's get into today's <laughs> estate sale walkthrough. Yeah. Yay! It's always you fun. Think yay. <laughs> <laughs> Until you're on the side. It's fun okay. to write it for Fair people enough. that Fair are enough. resellers because they know about a lot of stuff. All my friends have been telling me, they're like, we just listen for your reactions. Yep. That's the whole reason. <laughs> well, hey, I'm going to have like my own reel of my reactions. <laughs> I hope so. Gray, put that together. Get a blooper reel going. Ugh. So um, for those of you who are new to our show this week, we do an estate sale walkthrough every episode that is tailored specifically to our guests' likings. Now, the estate sale walkthrough is completely manufactured. The antiques may be real, but the scenarios generally aren't. Maybe they will. Who knows? That's uh, We've talked That's, about it see, being my seventh circle my of hell. this is my fear, putting it out into the universe like this, because mm -hmm. I'm all it's about that. Mm -hmm. It is going to come back, and I will be sitting at a table. I can just see it now, and the woman will be like, you can't, you can't have both. Yeah. One or the other. <laughs> this is what's going to happen when you and I go to Brimfield. Yeah. It's yeah. just my estate sale walkthroughs. These people have been listening to us and they just are waiting. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get it back. So the only loophole is you have to figure out your own loopholes, but you can only choose this or that one or the other in the scenarios. Megan, are you ready? I was born ready. All right. So today, since it's <laughs> fresh on Jill and I's minds, we're shopping in Utah. Yay. Jill went for her birthday. I went for mine. And we are just kind of driving up and down the Salt Lake Valley looking for places to stop and pick. The first sale we come to is in a quaint neighborhood. It's a small home, so there's not a lot. We're kind of in and out. Walking into the home, we start in the kitchen. Everything's kind of been picked through. This is kind of the last day of the sale. On the table is these little baskets filled with fridge magnets. So there's two to choose from. I hate you already. Vintage <laughs> mixed cocktail magnets or vintage mini kitchen appliance magnets. What do you choose, Megan? I'm rolling appliances all day. Oh. I literally gave you the best birthday present, and this is how <laughs> I am repaid. I wrote this before. <laughs> no. <laughs> the, ah, the cocktails, I think. Oh. <laughs> I'm. That's tough. I love them. I'm going with the mini appliances. I regret. I'll share with you. Okay. Good. If you find a gin and tonic magnet, I'll give you my mixer. Oh, see, no, I have to keep Ooh, it. Ooh, a trade. <laughs> we'll come home and lay them out on a piece of sheet yeah. metal. We'll be fighting over <laughs> We load back up and head to a warehouse sale. This sale includes everything from architectural salvage to kitsch to furniture in one place. It's our favorite. Yes. The first table we come to has stoneware, but it's an mm. array of vessels to choose from. Do you choose? They're in sets of threes. Do you choose three crocs or three jugs? 
Megan froze. Hold on. And she looks. I'm, possessed. <laughs> I'm like, I'm literally like styling them in my head. I'm like, okay, like wooden spoons would look better and crocs, but what would look good in jugs? We could put flowers in those. Uh-huh. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm going like, I'm styling them. So I'm trying to think which would look better. I'm going, I'm going crocs. Mm-hmm. What are you going to pick Sam? Crocs. <laughs> For the same reason of putting more shit in them. Exactly. What can I put more things in? Uh But then I can see the jug styled very cute on the shelf. Yeah. With one single balloon coming out of them. All right. Okay. I'm going to go jugs. Oh. Gets you some pompous grass out of one of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Because why not? I mean, I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) Last but not least, we come to the jadeite table. Ooh. But we're looking over the stuff that everybody collects because our eyes have landed on two pretty rare items. One of the items is the McKee bottoms up shot glass set. Yes. Or a complete range set with all of the seasoning jars. They're in perfect condition. This is where I just beat you up. That's fine. We're almost done with the interview. This one, there has to be like a Kobayashi Maru to this one where you get both. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll do, we'll have a, we'll have a summer. We'll each take one and we'll have a summertime that we get with them. We'll split custody. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with the shot glass just because of space of the other one. Like uh, what I I don't have space to display the other one. It would be lost. I would build a cabinet for those <laughs> i was just gonna say i'll make a space I'll break out a wall i'm gonna go with the shot glasses right for the sheer fact of i want somebody to look inside my curio cabinet and see that cute little tush i know what they need to still they need to moser or one of the companies needs to do reproduction bottoms up i thought they did well do I thought they? there were i thought there were reprops of those oh. i think there are Get yourself on eBay right now. We're going as Jill chooses. <laughs> They're so cute. I've already regret it, but I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to go home and cry because I was like, <laughs> I could have put those here. <laughs> <laughs> I could have put them right here. Why did I just go to the perfect place for them? That was all. I could have made it like six pages long because <laughs> Megan has great collections. And, and I was like, really does. ooh. Because there was like, I was going through Christmas stuff. I was going through ironware. Oh. I was like, what? I was really weird stuff. <laughs> I was really yeah. hoping you would not do the Christmas because I would just quit. Yeah. I did find <laughs> because of your collection of Santa stuff, I was like, I want a Santa collection. And I found the little mini ceramic Santa mugs. Oh, yes. Those are so, oh, those, those are, are getting so, so hard to find. Mm-hmm. I love the minis. I, I actually stopped getting bigger ones and just focused oh, on minis. They're so cute. And they're, they're really hard to find. I found them and they were in the thing of like where you have to kind of like Jesus take the wheel it because they were very <laughs> dirty in the bottom Ooh. of something. So people had kind of overlooked them because they looked filthy. And I was like, like a diamond in the rough, this little Santa face. I see you. I know. I see, I see you, friend. Santa. Come to me. Come <laughs> and, live with uh, me. I fix you. Thank you so much for sitting down with us and sharing. I can't wait to have you on and ask you even more questions about reselling. This was so much fun. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, man. I loved it. This has been... Kindred spirits, friends. Yes. Yes, very much. That's the one thing I'm 
so happy we started this podcast because now I'm just like, I have, everybody gets it that we've had on I and it further perpetuates my problems right? with collecting. <laughs> but that's, I will say one last thing. That's been the coolest thing about like really connecting with the vintage community on Instagram because I used to feel crazy about the stuff that I liked, mm-hmm. you know, because it was just my mom in my life that liked old, beat up, crusty stuff. And I'm like, look, there's millions of people that get it. And I love yeah. it. And it makes you feel less crazy. <laughs> yeah. It was last night I get home and I'm pulling my stuff out. Right. And my husband goes, I don't know how to react. Because <laughs> he's like, I don't know if this is rare. I don't know if it's this. I don't know if it's that. I said, I just like it. But it's true. I can, you know, get on and tell our friends, be like, oh, my God, look at what I found. And they'll understand the yeah. rigmarole. Yeah, it's yeah. true. So that's what we're yeah. here for at the Mothball Prophecies, to understand your rigmarole. Or they just justify that you spend a lot of money on random crap. Yeah. That's <laughs> <lots> of money. <laughs> to hear more about the things we talked about today in Megan's episode, be sure to stay tuned for this week's Curio Corner. Miss Megan. She's so fun. It was like, I, you know, I'm always conscious of time when we're recording. Yes. But it felt like it was going so fast and I was there were so many questions I, I know. still had. <laughs> well, that's what I kept. I cuz I do the same thing. Cuz you and I will kind of look at each other like, ooh, "Ooh, we're taking up a lot of time." But then like I looked at the time and I was like, "Wait a minute. But I have more questions." Yeah. Like about selling. Because that's what happens though. We'll get we'll fake think this is where we're going to go. Mhm. And then it goes another way because it's super, we try to make it super organic and it, yeah. and she was super interesting and great at like filling in all the blanks. And like, it was, she was answering questions before I even had a chance to yeah, ask them. I know. <laughs> but I was, yeah, we were both sitting there and I could watch our wheels spinning and there was lots of stuff that we've like, we've talked about with different people on the show, but like we've talked about primitive stuff before we've talked about these different areas of collecting and antiquing yeah but and this is the first time we've really covered in a curio yeah this is the first time anybody's really brought up like their style was mm-hmm. this way and her mom was was more into the primitive decorating which looking now my mom was too and i think every I, mom my mom too but you can but um so i found this off a of good old wikipedia um, it says primitive decor decorating is a style of decorating used in primitive folk art style that is char- characteristic of a historic or early Americana time period, which I think half of our moms yeah. was all about the Americana. Well, then I'm like, okay, after what she said too about Martha Stewart and country living, I'm like, what year were those first covered in the articles that caused this boom? Yeah. Um, all ties together, guys. Uh, so in primitive decorating, the element, the elements are muted colors and a rough and simple look to them. Decorating in a primitive style can incorporate either true antiques or contemporary folk art, which I mean, again, hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> contemporary pim- Primitive folk art is designed to have old or antique look, but created w- using new materials. Hi, Martha Stewart. Mm-hmm. Examples of antiquing techniques used by primitive folk artists included tea or coffee staining. <laughs> this is just like memory lane. My childhood. I want to text my mom. 
and go, what did you read that made primitive appealing? (laughs) I know. Uh, So tea and coffee staining and sanding down paint to create a worn age look. Hi, shabby chic. (laughs) (laughs) Right? The style is sometimes referred to as a country style. There it is. Primitive decorating often features a number of reoccurring themes and characters, including primitive angels, barn stars, primitive crows, primitive... The crows. Did your mom have wooden crows? No, my mom didn't have crows, but she did have chickens. Oh, fuck. Okay. Primitive dolls and rag dolls, salt box houses, sheep, willow trees, primitive wood signs. Jesus Christ. And pottery. Okay. My mom made fabric dolls and sold them at mini bazaars. And my mother was the one who bought said dolls. And she had to stop because people were ripping her patterns off. I remember my mom trying to tea stain curtains. <laughs> And the whole wooden sign thing to this day is, I think, is, is the reason why I don't have any I wooden signs. I'm feeling so much PTSD right I now know. from that decor that I didn't realize I was still harboring. It's it's funny to me how many people grew up with that style. Oh, uh, we had a sign, a wood sign that said antiques in the sure. basement. And I just remember my brother always saying antiques. <laughs> Did your mom have like oh, old man. windows yeah. hanging on the walls? Still. My mom just now is changing her style and she doesn't know what she wants to do, but she keeps going back to that same style. Oh, same with my mom. <laughs> we had this shelf, okay, in the basement and it was a pine shelf that was painted with what paint, Jill? Crackle paint. Beige, ivory, okay. And it was... A quilt hanging shelf. Yep. Just so much raffia. Yes. Oh, my God. God, I forgot about raffia. (laughs) Anyways. Oh, oh man. Wow. I think that's. I'm calling my mom. I know. My mom needs rehab for this. (laughs) So this makes me wonder what our children, when they get older and they're looking back and they'll like compare like. Because our decorating styles are completely different. Very different. My decorating style from with my best friend is completely different. Mm-hmm. And so they'll just, I wonder if like our kids will all have the same because they'll be like, I'm so tired of like everybody having a different style. Right. If it'll go back to that. Because I remember going to everybody's house and exactly, yeah. everybody's house was like that. Yeah. And where I live, I'd walk into somebody else's house and see the same fucking dolls that my mom was making. Yeah. Or the same way they hung the things. Oh, or hang, you hang it with raffia. So much raffia. Okay. All right. Sidebar city's okay, over. Okay. Therapy session done. Wow. I love you. I'm glad we made it out of that alive. <laughs> yeah. And did your mom have uh, the yellow wear? Was it yellow? She never, like, the decor, like, antique-wise in the house was... Like she made the primitive stuff and we had like fucking everything was stenciled and wallpapered and my mom had stencils. She we didn't have wallpaper, but we had a lot of the very earthen bowls. Yes. And I think because our kitchen was smaller, my mom would have. She does now. She has one bowl that's like up on a shelf. And the thing is like I could totally see her collecting 
yellowware and ironstone and all of that stuff. Oh, yeah. My mom, for sure. And we talked a little bit about that today with Megan. And I was just like thinking, because I instantly think of like a grandma. But I also saw, I would say these were more re- like my mom didn't bake or cook growing up, so she wouldn't have had them. <laughs> but my friends, because we, the area we live in, yeah. there's oh, lots yeah. of home baking. And I would always see these, you know, the kitchen, you walk in and they have the little shelf. Mm-hmm. And this is where those bowls yes. live. Yes. Up there. And they always remind me of grandmas, which makes sense because grandmas would have had them. Yeah. This is, I mean, they w- wouldn't have. I mean, these were it. Yeah. This is, well, yeah. And they were, so th- there's two things I'm going to cover. There's a yellowware and ironstone mm-hmm. and they go with primitive. But this is both of these articles are from adirondackgirlatheart.com. And yellowware, so yellowware is called such because it's made out of clay that is yellow, but that's not the only depiction of it. So yellowware started, it was first produced in Scotland in the early seven or the late 1700s. And then it went to Yorkshire and Staffordshire and it was a kitchen workhorse and it was mostly made like the, they were, the shapes were pretty utilitarian. Yeah. So you had like rolling pins, pudding Mm -hmm. molds, baking stuff, uh, bowls, all of that things, right. That were made and the pudding molds were not for pudding. Like we have (laughs) pudding is a type of bread baked bread like uh think like a banana bread oh yeah yeah would be considered a pudding oh okay in england um but unlike ironstone yellowware is considered earthenware and it's not quite as durable so this is the predecessor mm-hmm. to ironstone so you had earthenware is being made from clay from the earth and it's fired and glazed but it gets the yellowware name because of the color of the clay but there's times there's also like white bowls that are made from yellow clay that are yellowware, but they don't look right yellow. So are you following? <laughs> Follow the dots. So this is very primitive. It's made yellowware was produced in America about 1830 to 1930 because manufacturers failed to mark most of the yellowware. It's hard to identify if what you inherited from your grandmother is actually yellowware and not a reproduction because this goes back to the thing that makes you and I crazy. Yes. Mark everything like it's going to be collectible. Yeah. Put okay. a smiley face. I don't care. I just need a like a marking of some kind. Yeah. So this is like before they're really making porcelain, right? It's in that early window of you're creating things for the use that they need to be. And then the decorative stuff starts to come later on in it. So there's like, urns that were molded then you have stuff that's machine painted um before machine painting you had natural dyes and textures that were put on the bowls like there's one that was called a seaweed marking and it looks literally like somebody just slapped it with some moss (laughs) right on top of it um but the white part there's white and brown slip which is liquefied clay which was also added as a decoration in the mid 1800s and then that's where that decoration comes in. And then, hold please. You have some different manufacturers and makers. So later it gets into the 1800s, early 1900s, right? One of the United States manufacturers of yellowware 
was in Roseville, Ohio, but not to be confused with Roseville Pottery. Pottery. Okay. They were making it, and of course, in ever the, uh, the American way, stamping it with a crown, as you do. It makes sense, right? I mean, it's something. So it was Robinson Rand's bottom. <laughs> they were in business from 1920 to 2005, and they used this crown mark on some of their early pottery. And then you start to get into the machine manufacturing painting side of it, which is where McCoy starts to get into it, which was also at the same time as Roseville. So this was a main staple in early Americana primitive, Mm -hmm. which is why there's so much of it and it's so collectible. Now, now the difference between yellowware and ironstone is there's the dates that they were made, right? Well, ironstone was made as a cheaper alternative to porcelain that was popular at the time. But ironware, the way it was glazed is what made it like almost indestructible. Yeah, because that, I mean... That was, it had to be a workhorse. It wasn't at a time that it was... And the other thing, too, is yellowware is not safe to use at all now because that original glaze coating was lead-based. So if you have yellowware in your collection, it do not... Don't use it. Don't use it. It's not a useful vintage. So then it goes further, like, as <clears throat> you can tell it's getting out of the primitive range. When you start to get into the really heavy carving mm-hmm. machine made. Which makes sense because everything started has to start somewhere. Yeah. And then techniques change and then they don't use lead. Well, and then it's like <laughs> we're not when we bake, we're not doing it every day to feed our family. Most people. It's not a necessity. No. When we bake, it's for fun. Yeah. Or for an occasion or, you know. Yeah. And then ironstone was made in England, also in Staffordshire. Staffordshire, excuse me. Um, Yeah, they're both really collectible. Ironstone has a little bit more of the decorative marking. Like in uh, the United States, ironstone that was more collectible looked more primitive Mm -hmm. and um, less design where they have more carving, where in England... The popular ironstone is stuff that mimics porcelain, has the slip transfers. Yeah. That are more. I I like pottery, but it's not something I collect. No. No. Because even like when I do use a bowl to like mix stuff, I always use a plastic bowl Mm. because I'm. I'm always afraid because I do have some pottery bowls, but I never use them. Right. Because I'm always afraid if I like mix it too hard, I'm going to chip it. Right. That was the problem with between Yellowstone and Ironware. Wait. (laughs) Yellowstone. (laughs) I was like, wait a minute. My brain flip flopped. (laughs) Ironware. Wait. Ironstone and Yellowware. Jesus, Christmas. (laughs) Wow. Um, Yellowware. Typically, when you find it now, there's lots and lots of chips. And markings on it because it was not as durable as ironstone when being used all the time. Yeah. Which is probably why it fell out of fashion. I mean, things get better. Yeah. I mean, that's just how things are. But yeah, I mean, through this whole conversation, I'm like, yeah, my mom, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Like most are mom, I think most of 90s moms yeah. had this look and these bowls and. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
Megan talked about one of her collection, uh, what she's collecting now is um, Maxfield Parish prints. Which I have never heard that name. I've seen it after yeah, you showed me. Most of, yeah, and most of you haven't. Like, you've seen it, you just didn't know that's what it was. Um, his stuff is, I mean, it's just pretty. It's pretty. Yeah. It's very whimsical, br- bright colors. Mm-hmm. So, I saw um, these, one article is from, I mean, Wikipedia. Uh, and the other one I found on arthistorynews.blogspot.com. Oh. That's a mouthful. So, Maxfield Parrish was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to painter and etcher Stephen Parrish and Elizabeth Bancroft. His given name was Frederick Parrish, but he later adopted Maxfield, his paternal grandmother's maiden name, as his middle, then finally as his professional name. Oh. Which, I feel like I should have a professional name. Oh. Like, I don't know what it'd be, but I feel like we should. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and that's well... Okay, back to Bittersweet's business pick. We need business pick names. I'm, yeah. For when you and I need to talk business. Oh, yeah. I'll go, I need to talk to... We're running a blank. Well, I have some, but they're not right. <laughs> so. we'll, we'll work it out. Mm-hmm. Um, But I didn't know this. He was raised in a Quaker society. Oh, this makes sense. Which, yes, now that makes sense to why... His art is His, the way it is. Yeah. Uh, and so as a child, he just drew like most kids do for um, amusement, showed his talent, and his parents encouraged him, of course, because they're a painter and an etcher. And between um, 1884 and 1886, his parents actually took him to Europe where he toured England, Italy, and France um, and was exposed to all that architecture mm-hmm. and paintings of the old masters. Uh, Maxfield Parrish was one of the most Im- popular American artists of the early 20th century, known for his unique artistic style blending realism and fantasy. Mm-hmm. Parrish created images that were enjoyed by both elite collectors and the American public. His paintings and illustrations were often distributed as a high-quality col- color lithographic reproduction and included advertisements and posters and calendars. Parrish's work appeared in magazines and books since the 1890s, and his paintings were distributed as prints as early as 1904. It was between the 1910s and the early 1930s that Parrish created some of the most endearing images, which were um, in different forms. His, But his most famous one, which I didn't know it was his most famous because it's it's pretty, but it's not my favorite, mm-hmm. which is Daybreak, which he produ- which he made in 1922. Um, and it was painted in a way that he could, that he knew he wanted to make reproductions of this. And it was estimated that one in four American homes owned a copy of that print. Which that's saying something for that time. For that time. And the fact that he did it for both the elite and, you know, the us common folk um says something like he knew he wanted everybody to be able to own his art that's an incredible forethought right and at a time that 
Ma- I mean, printmaking now, we you know everything's going to be a fucking print at yeah. some point. Yeah, even when you go through um, somebody, like an estate sale, like you know all of those are prints. Right, wow. That's cool. But um, I thought this was super interesting. Between 1917 and 1932, he created uh, the art for the calendars for General Electric's Edison Madison Lamp Division that created or featured figural and fantastic scenes. More than 20 million of these calendars were produced. Holy shit. That's... Oh, well, and I'm like, where were they sending all of those? There wasn't that many people then. I don't know. Not like now. Um, But the calendar prints are often considered the best print examples of Parrish's work. You can see, as, like, you can see, like, just the imaginative brain. Yeah. Like, that's what gets me every time with art. Well, in that decade, you know, the 20s and 30s, mm-hmm. the art that come, it's so futuristic and uniquely that era mm-hmm. i think more than any other time like you can look at stuff that's like renaissance pre-raphaelite baroque and all that it kind of leans into one another right where the i feel like the 20s and 30s were so inventive well yeah not even just with art but with everything yeah. like anything most of the cool stuff comes out of the 1920s, 1930s, I think. Well, and it's this this same kind of change that we see progressively after major trauma in the world. True. Right? Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens in the next most popular kind of collectible decades, which is mid-century. Yeah. And this thing, the next like collectible we talked about was what everything happened after the 19, you know, the end of the war. End of wars, really. We talk about her Holt Howard collectibles. Uh huh. And my mom has some Holt Howard stuff that she had. And there was one time she's like, I think I'm just going to get rid of this. And I said, I swear to God, mom, if you get rid of this and you don't give it to me, I'm going to put you in a home. And not like, not a good one. Yeah. Cause I love kitsch. It's no surprise. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like stuff was uh, my thing. Okay. If you know, I love something. If I call it stupid. Yes. Anything you call a stupid idiot. Look at that stupid idiot is endearing love that yeah. you must take home and keep forever. Yeah. It's meant to live with me. If I go, Oh, look at this stupid idiot. I did that at when I was with Tammy when we went away. From Sorry, Tammy. I was like, look at this stupid idiot. And she's like, I'm confused. Do you like him or do you not? And I'm like, no, I love it. It's so cute. I love it. That's what I said about that cow that I found. (laughs) Stupid idiot. So we talk about Holt Howard and a Holt Howard collection. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people know Holt Howard is like the figurines with their mouth open, like they're singing the choir things, right? So this article is from liveabout.com and it's written by L. Kate Taylor. And it really covers the full gamut of what Holt Howard was. And Holt Howard is a, it's a mid-century ceramic ware company, right? And it's funny how it started was two sets of parents threw in money to their kids to start this company. And at the time... It was $9,000, which uh, in 2012 was $87,000 in Holy money. Holy shit. Right? And they must have seen something 
in their son's endeavors. So during its heyday, the 1950s and 60s, Holt Howard was the king of whimsical ceramics. Lots of copycat companies tried to come close and have that famous collectability, but they couldn't do it. So when the Howards met Holt, so I didn't know until now that the old Howard company is comprised of three people. So you have brothers, John and Robert, Bob Howard and Grant Holt while attending the University of Massachusetts Amherst in the early 40s. John served and was wounded in World War II. Bob had a master's degree in business from Harvard and Grant did a postgraduate work in Sweden. They reconnected and looked into business that they always thought about starting up. While Holt was in Sweden, he saw the potential in a couple of Christmas decorations, a paper star intended to hang in windows and a thin metal angel chimes called Angel Abra, which became popular. And this is where the company was born. So they had, of course, we've all seen their animated faces, atomic shapes, the bright colors Mm -hmm. that were on them. And young mid-century American consumers wanted these in their homes. They wanted, they didn't, but they didn't want to mirror their parents' houses, right? Which is where we see mid-century start to really shape itself. Bob Howard was a longtime artist, did many of the designs and sketches, along with a few other artists. While not a popular concept today, Holt Howard joined other companies in the era of lowering manufacturing costs by taking production overseas. So the main showroom was in New York and then eventually moved to Stanford, Connecticut. But the first few years, Holt Howard focused on Christmas ceramics, among others. So some of their popular ones, we have the Winking Santa and the Merry Whiskers beverage sets, which included pitchers and mugs. And they change designs every year, which is why you'll see somebody with a collection of it with different variations. Starry-eyed Santa party wear, Christmas motif cookie jars, candle holders and candelabras, lady head vases, planters, and serving and gift wear. And then later in the 50s in 1958, pixie wear began. That pixie wear is adorable. So cute. So you have striped mustard, ketchup, jam, and jelly ceramic jars. Elf heads, um, individually boxed and intended as giftware. Pixie jars were manufactured for four years. The line expanded to include coffee containers, spoons, sugar and cream crocks, all of those things. You have cruet sets or or d'oeuvre sets. I almost said it how my family says it. <laughs> Whore divorce. Whore's divorce. We sound it out. <laughs> Um, but then it goes on. This is Holt Howard was a long standing company with a lot of different um, aspects of styling. And I encourage you, if you've never looked at Holt Howard, please. He's another that that brand is another brand that you have seen out yes. in the wild. You just didn't know what it was. Yeah. And by the late 60s, in 1968, Holt Howard was bought by General Housewares Corporation and headquarters were moved to Massachusetts. By 1974, the Howard brothers and Grant A. Holt left the company to pursue other businesses. What remained of Holt Howard was sold to KD Designs of Rhode Island. There is no, in 1990, there is no longer a Holt Howard ceramics company in operation. Oh, that's sad. Isn't that sad? Bob Howard passed away in 1990 and his parent 
and his partners in Holt Howard, Grant Holt and John Howard formed Grant Howard Associates. The early part of the century, they produced several lookalike lines, piggybacking on the popularity of Pixie Wear and Cozy Cats. Quite a few of the pieces were for you produced, but they were all different pieces than the original lineup. The Pixie Wear cookie jar was popular among consumers, but never gained the original Holt Howard popularity, which I think, you know, the, the reason Holt Howard became so popular was because of that era of the mid-century with so much innovation. Yeah, I mean, that was... I mean, you were trying to find something fun. Yeah. And they did it. They really, I mean, how many people do you know just stick to that era, really? No, yeah. Yeah. But that was all we had today for Miss Megan's Curio Corner. To see everything we talked about on today's show and to visit Megan Powell's Instagram at The Goods Resurrected. And to see it all, you can see our Instagram, The Mothball Prophecies Original. That's where we're at on Facebook and Instagram and always the mothballprophecies.com. <laughs> right now, we'd like to take this time to thank our wonderful patrons. If you are not a member of the Patreon, I highly suggest you join because the things we have coming that you want to be the first to be on top of in April and May. Incredible. Super amazing. Just new stuff. Really great new stuff. Big new stuff. Big new stuff. Wink, wink, cough, cough. <laughs> we want to take the time to thank RJ in Florida, Gina in South Carolina, Gwendolyn in Minnesota, Julia in Sweden, Jasmine in Kentucky, Kyla in Indiana, Mandy and Riley in California, TC Lionel, Melissa, Christina, Erica, Becky, and Ashley in the good state of Idaho. We are getting ready to put up our cute little maps in the office to put a pin for each one of you. Yes. We are so very thankful. Um, the Patreon money is going to go towards some new equipment this summer. Oh, can't wait. Continuing to pay our lovely Gray, who, God bless that man, <laughs> really deals with all of our bullshit behind the scenes. And we just want to thank our support team, really Gray. First and foremost, spell check. Love her so much. Yes. And to all of you who continue to listen week after week, because without you, Jill and I would just be talking to my basement. Yeah. <laughs> we would. We would. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, we hope you remember. Well, I almost said your line. Sorry. <laughs> See, hope you had a long weekend. We'll try it again. <laughs> as always. We hope you find some good shit. And we really hope you remember to look under the table. Please. Do it. Bye. See ya.